0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, as usual, by Vanishing Inc. Well, crikey, my guest today has done it all. Won the Magic Circle's Close-Up Magician of the Year not once, not twice, but three times. Done Foolers twice. Loads of other television appearances, including Paul Daniels' show, The Magic Castle. He's put out many amazing DVDs, including Tapestry of Deception and the classic Magic of Michael Vincent. There's a clue there. It is, of course, Michael Vincent, Good morning, Damien. What's your origin story? You've got 28 seconds.
1: My origin story? Mm-hmm. Well, very simply, my origin is I'm born in the United Kingdom. My family come from the Caribbean. I'm of French, Sierra Leone, Caribbean descent, and I'm an only child. So there's your first clue to terms of what my childhood was like. Many hours <laughs> on my own, reading books. I'm I'm grateful because my mother taught me how to read before I went to nursery. So I've I've been a voracious reader all my life, so I learned magic on my own before I mixed with any magicians, and I was technically competent by the time I started meeting magicians. So this is from about the age of 13. I could do a few things decently well, so that attracted me to Ken Brooks, Patrick Page, and Alan Allen, you know, before my 16th birthday. So I was already mixing with good magicians, you know, in my early teens, so...
0: Sure. Let's 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 go back to those to those early days. That uh, yes. in Southampton Row at Alan Allen's. Can you tell us about what the shop was like for those that weren't lucky enough to visit? Can you paint a picture of, of what Alan Allen's shop was like?
1: It was quite a big shop. The minute you walked in, there was a very big open space. The first thing you saw were masks on the walls, very antique cabinets, bookcases. So technically speaking, it was a joke shop. Mm. But because Alan had a long history in magic, he sold magic tricks, magic books, magicians would come in, and all their needs would be catered for. It's that simple. And uh, for me, as a young teenager, I found what I was looking for, someone that I could have a conversation with. So you imagine, I'm a young boy, and here was a gentleman in his early 50s. I'm at the age now when I met him, give or take a few years, so... He asked me questions. Why do you like the Harry Lorraine book so much? Well, I got it from the library, and I love it. And I learned some things which are really interesting. He said, show me. So I showed him some of the tricks from the Harry Lorraine book as a boy. He said, you learned that on your own? He said, yes. Nobody showed you. No. Wow. So said, are you coming back to the shop again? I said, if I have a good reason. (laughs) So he said, I'll show you a trick. So he showed (laughs) me a trick. And he fooled me. I said, wow, this is... No other magic shop owner showed me magic. They sold right. me tricks. Big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what the trick was, Michael? Yes, he did the rising card with my deck. Right. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: and it was clean as a whistle. And the card ru- And he gave me my deck back. I was flabbergasted. And I just knew this is where I needed to be. So if you can imagine, every Saturday, without fail... That's where you'd find me, from 10 to 2 o'clock in the morning. And then one day he said, "Um, Would you like to come back to my apartment? I said, I can show you some videos. He did. And I went. I showed him tricks. And you could say he became my artistic director. Mm -hmm. And so began our friendship, relationship, that lasted until I saw him take his last breath. And uh, because of Alan, he provided the golden key that opened yes. the door to meeting yeah. Cy, Cy Enfield, Patrick Slideen. Page, Di Vernon, Larry Jennings. I didn't meet Marlowe or Caps, but I met all my heroes.
0: What was that like when you were that age, going, going out to New York and having lessons from Slidini? What was it like? I, w- I was in
1: awe, Slidini. I could not believe that here was the man I saw on television as a 14-year-old. And I could do his tricks because I read the book because mm-hmm. Alan told me, read the book. And then one day he said, would you like to meet Sly Deening? I said, where does he live? He said, he lives in America. I said, well, how do we get there? He said, we fly. He said, well, you, I said, you need to speak to my mother because she's not letting me travel with you. She doesn't know you. She said, well, bring her in. I'll have a word with her. You and you were what
0: age?
1: By that time I was 18, approaching right. 18.
0: Okay.
1: So my mother came to the magic shop because I told her this man wants me to come to America. This, is, this conversation sounds odd now when you're listening to it yeah. today. Yeah. Really odd. Come on. Very odd. <laughs> so my mother says to Alan, my son tells me he, you want to take him to America. Why? I said, we don't know you. I said, listen, your son is going to be one of the world's greatest magicians. And he said, meeting Slidini is part of the puzzle. It will do him the world of good. He told her straight. If he doesn't go, so be it. But if he does go, he will never be the same again. Uh. So my mother said, well, and you've got to look at the innocence, Mm. not not the naivety. There's a difference between innocent and naivety. The innocence in my mother looking at me and saying, okay, Mike, you can go enjoy your life but don't come home with something you didn't leave with. (laughs) I'm pausing deliberately. That's my mother's secret code for look after yourself, be responsible, come home safely. Sure. And inside that statement is a whole world of Mm self-respect. What's the word I'm looking for? Self-defense, if necessary
0: hmm
1: because if anybody messes with me, it's going to be war Fortunately I Was well taken care of As I look back on this conversation now, I can say that I trusted Alan implicitly He really had my interest at heart sure. he was not the easiest of persons to get on with mm. He could be offensive. He could be rude. He could be vitriolic in his opinions But he always told the truth, Damien.
0: Always. Sure.
1: And his truth was grounded in 50, 60 years of what worked in show business. It was grounded in developing the courage to tell the truth, take a stand for what's right as a magician and as a human being. That was him. And... uh, Anybody listening to this conversation now will think, what the hell, you know? So <laughs> I don't care because that's the world I came from. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. deny, I'm not going to deny my history. Sure, Of course. But, but I'm grateful because I was, I was allowed to explore my passion
0: Yeah.
1: and nothing stopped me from doing so and nothing happened that would impact who I would become.
0: Sure. Can you share something you still view as important today that you learned out in New York with Slidini?
1: With Slidini? Oh mm. my goodness. <laughs> I gotta tell you. I often sit quietly and daydream. Why did Slidini give me the time of day? He didn't know me. He mm. was friends with he was friends with Alan. But we had a conversation. And I'll give you my Indian prayer. He said, so, you like my magic, huh? I said, yes, sir. He said, what you do? I said, I read your book, sir. He said, you like? I said, yes. I said, I learned the paper balls. I'm doing this. I'm doing all these stupid moves. Oh, so, paper balls. I said, yes. What else? I like the sponge balls. I learned the cigarettes, but I don't smoke. So, I don't do cigarettes. But I like the coins and the pins. Oh. Coins for table. Yes. And the gold pins. Yes. Show me right Whoa. there. Show me. So <laughs> In that moment, excuse my language Slidini wanted to see if I was full of Or if I could do it mm-hmm. and I showed him I Went through the whole routine My pins were dirty. They didn't look gold He said come with me. So the great magician takes me into his kitchen he said, this is a story about gold pins. Conviction, first thing, you got to look gold. So he polishes my pins, and they came up gold. Eventually, I had my pins gold-plated, so they look beautiful. So in that very first lesson, T- Slidini convinced me that conviction is everything. Right. He says to me, you've got to believe that it's real magic. So I said to him, How can I believe it's magic when I know how the tricks are done?
0: Fair.
1: He said, good. He said, can you drive a car? I said, yes, sir. He said, when you drive, do you think change gears? I said, no, sir. Why? Because I'm focusing on the road. But why don't you change gears? I said, don't know, it just happens. He said, that's it. He said, learn your tricks so well that it just happens that you don't have to consciously think about what your hands are doing. You can mm-hmm. focus on the audience. And focus on being a real magician, as if by magic. So Slidini is very much alive, for me, in all that I do. Because when I learn a new trick, I'm asking, where's the magical expression? What techniques are required? Right, I'll get rid of that, because either I can't do it, or it's not necessary. Mm. But if it is necessary, I will learn it. I don't waste my time learning techniques that do not support the vision of what the effect is about.
0: Why do you think the classics of magic are still important and relevant today?
1: Right, this is subjective, and I'm glad you've asked me that question. Let's park magic for a moment. Okay. Mozart's Violin Concerto, Mm -hmm. the, um, The Four Seasons, The 1612 Overture, Beethoven's Fifth, A Tale of Two Cities... The Godfather. 12 Angry Men. I'm mentioning classic films, classic books. Charles Dickens, Oliver Twist, Stephen King, The Shawshank, Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. Classic books, classic films. Why have they become classics? Because they touch, moved and inspired the people who read them, who heard them and who saw great magicians. So what's going on here? The classics... ...have a purity of expression... ...a rock solid... ...construction and design... ...that allows that expression to flourish... ...and the the artist... ...whether it's an author... ...a musician... ...a magician... ...the person who expresses that vision... ...is someone who has the sensitivity... ...and the technical skill... ...to bring it to life... ...for the joy of the author... uh, ...so the audience... ...the reader... ...or someone... Who has come who has paid money to come and see a show. So let's go back to magic. Mm. Let's take a track. Pick a pick a pick a classic trick, any trick.
0: Uh, coins through table. Then as we were talking about that before.
1: Okay, what's the effect?
0: Normally four half dollars travel through a table.
1: Okay, that's what happens. But the effects is the coins traveling from one hand to the other through okay. a solid barrier. Okay. That's the effect. Now it becomes a classic because of the interpretation. And the selective elements that the magician wants the audience to experience. The coins are going to leave my left hand and join the right hand. But to make it harder, I will put a barrier in their way through a table. Boom. First coin. The effect is pure. The audience can describe it in a single sentence. He made a coin go through the table. And what killed me, he made them go back the other way at the end. (laughs) In my version. At the last minute, they all go the wrong way. It's pure magic. And the effect is so pure, the audience don't even question how was it done because they're too busy dealing with how it made them feel. Right. That, that is why classics are relevant. Simply because the effect is so pure, the audience is too busy and confronted with how the experience made them feel. Does that make
0: now, sense? That, absolutely. But the, the, the feeling is, is something that I'm interested in. There's one thing that combines the magicians that you admire, Slidini, Enfield, Wonder, Goshman, and it's not the skill, which is mainly hidden, as you said, but the feeling that the audience has. How do you select material as a starting point when your aim is to give them a magical feeling?
1: Very good question. That's my first goal. The audience must feel it. No question. No compromise. So when I'm studying tricks, mm. if, if I don't feel the potential, I don't waste time with it.
0: Right.
1: I may learn it as a psychological exercise because mm-hmm. there, there may be an idea that I can apply to something else. More often than not, that's the case with a lot of stuff. Some books have nothing except derivative nonsense. mm mm-hmm nothing and i i rather burn those books but a part of me can't burn a book because a book is there to teach and some books teach me move on don't waste your time right yeah so i base my material on why i love the classics i can describe the effect the effect is pure it allows me to communicate a very simple premise and uh, i see a possibility in this routine that allows me and the audience to engage in a conversation about something significant
0: okay okay uh, about uh, about your you the conversation you believe you seem to believe very strongly in scripting it seems to shine through in all of your performances every word every pause is thought out why do you think that's important
1: well the script is important but i struggled for a long time because my script sounded like a script I hadn't learned the art of making it sound as if I'm speaking it for the, for the, for the first, first time.
0: time. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I had to learn the art of pausing, saying nothing. And the pauses is what made the difference because I used to work really fast, but I've had to learn to slow down, which is why I have a massive archive of videos of myself and I've studied myself objectively very painful to watch Mm. yourself and to watch yourself from 20 years ago is no joke. Sure. I thought, man, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? What was I, where was I, where was my head at that? It's very useful because who, who we are right now informs who we become when we perform magic. And the person talking to you now next week will not be the same person. Yeah. Yeah. So scripting for me is critical. I start off with a basic outline of where the premise is and I allow my script to develop. I will script the opening lines. I will script the closing lines. I'll have a few key phrases somewhere in the middle because I want to allow room for something, something to develop. And guess where that something comes from?
0: Your audience.
1: Exactly. I allow the audience to bring their point of view into the conversation and I listen and which is funny because I'm deaf, (laughs) but get this, when I lost my hearing, it forced me to really pay attention. Right. And my audience communicate to me, even when they're not speaking. Do you ever watch the X-Men? Yeah, sure. I love the X-Men and it's a beautiful metaphor. When I lost my hearing, My superpowers mutated. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Because I'm forced to pay attention now, I see another world of communication that I missed before. Uh. Facial expression, but it goes deeper. I'm talking micro expression. It is so fine. I can sense, I can feel. I am a natural empath. I think that's my natural mutation. I'm a natural empath. So when I'm performing, I see the impact my words, and my being, and my magic is having on every person in the audience. Right. And I'm calibrating.
0: And so you adapt.
1: I'm calibrating. I'm making minute adjustments because I'm looking to see this. I see it all.
0: Does that make sense? Perfect sense, yeah. Okay. I read that you, if you don't want to talk about this, it's fine, but I read that you were bullied at school and that magic and a teacher helped stop that. Can you tell us that story?
1: Very much so. My teacher's name was Mr. Hamilton, Bruce Hamilton. He was our woodwork teacher and uh, I was getting into a lot of fights at school and I learned boxing, I learned Wing Chun, but I'll be honest with you. I never really enjoyed the process of learning how to fight, right? So guess what? I stopped it. I thought, why am I doing something that I don't enjoy? So I stopped it. I said, I got to find another way to fight back because if I fight back through violence, it's only going to perpetuate sadness in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this because of any, I was a pretty smart kid because I was always questioning. So to hell with it. I'm just going to focus on magic because I need my hands to be a good magician. And I discovered something. I said to my teacher, we have to stop this nonsense. Otherwise I'm not coming to school. I just said, it makes no sense to me coming to school and having to fight every day. And I'm going to be straight with you. I was being bullied by the other black boys, not the white boys in the school. Cause I'm mixed race. Right. Okay. I'm not pure black. If I had to live my life again, Damien, I would come back as a pure black man. you want to know why? No ambiguity. No ambiguity. Listen, I have no qualms having this conversation because I'm stuck right in the middle. Because I don't know where I belong. So I just said, to hell with it. I'm going to belong to myself. And if I make friends, great. If I don't make friends, goodbye. I'm okay without you. That's my philosophy. I am okay without you. So, fortunately, once I made my mind up, that was that. So my teacher said, okay, Mike, I know you're interested in magic. Why don't you put on a show for the school, and it will stop the bullying. I said, give me a break. That's just going to make them more angry at me. They said, no, you can do something they can't explain. And I promise you, they will leave you alone. You will be powerful afterwards. Oh. I- I'm, I'm about 14 or 15 So I did the magic show. I was already studying Slidini's book. So I did his sponge ball routine Uh with the purse frame. Yeah. And would you believe I did the paper balls over the head? I got an incredible ovation from everyone in the assembly, school assembly. And in my little brain, I thought, wow, this magic stuff is good. I said, if I could become a great magician, I can survive. And guess what happened? I was no longer the victim. I became a Uh mini-celebrity. I never left home without my deck of cards or my close-up mat. It was in my bag. It was a blue Adidas sports bag. So I was doing tricks all the times just to be left
0: alone. Your teacher was right, and it did solve the problem.
1: I owe Mr. Hamilton everything, as much as I owe Alan. In fact, he was the first person before Alan, to take a stand for me. Right. It's that simple. Bruce Hamilton. I will always pay tribute to him. Always. Amazing.
0: I understand once you almost gave up entirely on magic. What changed me? your mind? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I've got to think what changed back your now. Mind? Yeah, I think this was around the 90s. I'll be mm. honest. With, I know what it was. I did not enjoy being a professional magician. Ah. I got bored. Picture the scene. Corporate banquets. Restaurants. Doing tricks while people weren't interested. Approaching people while they were eating. This Mm -hmm. was outside my orbit. I hated it. I hated it then. And I hate it now. And I'll never, ever do it again. And uh, around that time. Mid-90s. I had done enough corporate shows to realize this is, this is not my self-expression. I didn't have these words that I'm speaking now. I had the feeling. And I decided I need to find something else. And I had just won the international, I think, no, I think it was the Magic Circle competition or something like that.
0: So and many awards.
1: <laughs> yeah, one of, one of them. And I was invited to perform in Italy. And I remember thinking, oh, this will be nice. I made several trips to Italy around that period, and on one of those trips, I'm in Florence, and I saw Michelangelo's David.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On another trip, close time frame, I'm in Rome, and it was just a one-night show. I came, and in the morning, before I caught my plane, I went to the Vatican Museum to see the Sistine Chapel, and I just remember thinking, "What am I complaining about?" I Michelangelo took four years to paint the ceiling because I did some research on it. He took four years to carve the David just with a hammer and a chisel. And I'm complaining about magic in corporate functions. I just said to myself, Michael, do you love the subject? I said, yes. Where is your ideal performing environment? I like to entertain people that have come to see me. Mm. So that means they need to know about you. I said, yes, that means they need... They need to wait to find out about you. This was before the internet, by the way.
0: Sure, sure.
1: So I thought, I need to design a proper show. I need to learn how to entertain audiences for a long period, not just approaching tables, because that's Mm. all it was at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I designed my show. I designed my card act, my my one-man show. The show that I do now came out of that radically different because i've evolved but that was the journey i took and i said i need to find another way to express myself so i started lecturing and teaching so i could see the milestones throughout this conversation based on that decision why am i so fed up with magic what i was learning did not prepare me for the reality of what it meant to be a professional right that's the truth yeah i haven't done a corporate gig in 10 years no in 20 years it's a true story
0: a while ago you posted on social media about a basketball player magic johnson using the same body techniques as magicians do to misdirect are there any yeah. other fields you take inspiration from generally i know you're very passionate about your photography but is there anything yes. else that inspires your magic
1: well, it's interesting you mentioned Magic Johnson. I just noticed his, his, his physiology, his head movement. He was crossing the gaze when he was throating the ball. <laughs> I thought, wow. I also noticed it in football with Ronaldinho, the Brazilian, he was using crossing the gaze with his passing technique. It was astonishing. I noticed it with Muhammad Ali as a boxer, his foot movement. The only other person who mentioned Muhammad Ali and his footwork in relation to Salai of hand was Ben Earl. Right. I said, good on you, Ben. (laughs) You you, you are on the right page here. So other inspirations, I I study life. I study people. And uh, I became interested in photography because I just wanted to take photos of all the nice places I'd been to. And I decided I better learn to do this properly because my images weren't great at the beginning because I didn't know how my camera worked digital. Sure, sure. So I started reading books on aperture, ISO, everything. I took classes. My mentor was a man named, is a man named Brian, Brian Peterson. Are you seeing a relation? An interesting thing here. I'm meeting all my heroes in photography, just like I did with magic. Uh. I reached out to them. Brian invited me on his workshop when he came to London. So we were down in the Cotswold photographing. I stayed with him in Seattle and we went up to re- uh, Seattle Park. Beautiful scenery in that part of the world. I am now a technically confident image creator. I am now practicing my vision. I know what my camera's doing. So. What does photography teach me about magic? Everything composition, lines, structure, texture, color, vibrancy. Where's the emotional content in the image? What's the story in the image? Why am I taking this image? Why, why, why? What's, what's the hook? All of this applies to magic. Yeah, the yeah. magician and the photographer are storytellers here's something for you when I was at school I wanted to be a journalist uh-huh. it's come it's come full circle I am now a photojournalist and what's my overriding subject the expression of life in it all its horror and genius the human condition all of this ends up on my website my blogs, my images, Instagram. All of my images come with a narrative and I'm cross-pollinating what I learn as a photographer with the craft of magic.
0: It's fascinating, but we've run out of time. It's only a 30-minute show. We always end with four quick-fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Your favourite film? The Godfather. Your favourite musician or person that makes music?
1: Wow. Sam Cook.
0: Favourite pizza topping? Pizza topping? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Pepperoni. Pepperoni and mushrooms. Cool. And who would you rather fight, 100 tiny Andes or one massive Joshua?
1: I'd fight Joshua J. Jo- <laughs> Joshua's taller than me, so my... I get a lot of leverage from my left hook, you see, and he he wouldn't see it coming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Michael, should people want to have a look at your pictures? What's your Instagram? Um, Fuji Warrior. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you.